the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to the dawn of a new era of the Steve Dace Show here on The Blaze and CRTV. If you're watching us later today on CRTV, the good news for you is nothing will change for you other than you're just going to get more of what you're already paying for. So that's a pretty good value added. And if you're watching us live right now on The Blaze, you are new to what we do here on the Steve Day Show. Let me quickly introduce you to the team we have to my right, and it is a very difficult place to get, which is to my right, is our show editor, Todd Erzin. He is conducting the daily Facebook chat with you on our Facebook page. Just look up Steve Dace on Facebook. And to my left, which is where most of the millennial generation resides, uh, is our producer, Aaron. But do not be fooled. Uh, Aaron, put the camera back on yourself for a second. Do, do not be fooled. I know he looks, right, got the scruff, got the laid-back shirt. I forgot to shave this morning. Yeah, 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 and, and you know, the previous nine mornings. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, all the technology that's uh, there at his, um, at his disposal. And then you can't see it in the camera, but the one random uh, bottle of Pledge in and amidst uh, all of those wires, I'm sure that's a really safe... There we go. There yes, yes. Yeah. I, I know that looks like peak millennial, like totally unorganized organization, right? Okay. But do not be deceived. If you are new to this show, there is one grumpy old man on this program, and it's him. It's a true story, bro. It, it is him. He is. Ladies, you're going to think a good-looking, successful young man, and he's single. Oh, promise in about five minutes you're going to find out why <laughs> looks can be deceiving it's true okay underneath everything he says is true underneath that Don't exterior that's right you're thinking why why i gotta get my daughter his number underneath that trust me is a get off your lawn that will not take very long to come out. You can let us know what you think about what we think several ways. We mentioned the chat on our Facebook wall. You can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also email the program, steve at stevedace.com. And yes, the podcast is still available each and every day. You can download it at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you have some time to leave us a positive review, we would appreciate that as well. Now, if you don't like us, don't lie. We wouldn't tell you to do that, but maybe just don't review us at all. But if you do dig what we do here on the show, the more of you that subscribe and review five stars there on the podcast page, the more you help us get the word out. So how are we launching this new expanded show? Why are we bringing in a giant new audience alongside our CRTV audience with The Blaze? We're doing it because we've got some advertisers out there that are products that we're excited about that are anxious to reach this new audience. And you guys know if you are a regular listener to the CRTV show or viewer, um, I'm a health guy. I, I Really? No, really. I know it doesn't look like it, but I've lost like over a hundred some odd pounds uh, over the last several years. Today was leg day. Got my leg day in before I came in, right? But as you get older and the metabolism slows down, it's not even so much about exercise anymore that keeps the weight off. That helps, but also about diet. And, and you know, diet to me is a dirty word. I'm more into the lifestyle thing. I try to eat healthy. And, and there's a lot of fake news out there when it comes to nutrition and health. The fake news was a product it would be all of these so-called superfoods because when you take a look at the superfood container, 
It's got supplemental facts there on the panel. And you know what that means? That means it's made from extracts instead of the real food. With the goal of creating a real superfood specially designed to enhance your health and help you reach your full potential, a team of top physicians gathered to form Brickhouse Nutrition, one of our proud introductory sponsors here on the Steve Day Show. And they want to introduce you to their new product, Field of Greens. You know, like Field of Dreams, like we have here in Iowa, where we're broadcasting from each and every day. Field of Greens is the first real superfood, and the difference that sets it apart can be seen right on the bottle. It has what are called nutrition facts, not alternative facts, nutrition facts right there on the panel. Why? Because it is a real food. One scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real certified vegan, vegetarian, USDA, organic fruits and vegetables, complete with antioxidants. Most of us a day do not get the servings we need. And Field of Greens is going to take care of that for you. It's a daily clean green energy that fuels your body for a healthier and happier lifestyle. And for a limited time offer, visit BrickHouseSteve.com. That's BrickHouseSteve.com. Use promo code Steve, that's my first name, Steve, to get 15% off your first order, promo code Steve. Again, BrickHouseSteve.com today and experience a better you tomorrow. And now we begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by The Blaze. And since we're new around here, it seems we should introduce ourselves with some completely relevant, important, and totally true facts about ourselves. It is Real Men of the Steve Day Show. First up, the guy whose name is on the show, Steve Dace. Steve is an avid skier with a penchant for writing books and pumpkin spice everything. In his free time, he enjoys long walks in his maze and blue man cave and hosting 17 different TV and radio shows every week. Next, Todd Erzin. Todd is our editor around here, and when he's not being Erasmus to Steve's Luther, he enjoys being smug about his fandom for the Wisconsin Badgers. In his free time, he drinks vinegar straight from the bottle. Last and certainly least, there's me. I don't get out much. And there you have it. Real men of the Steve Day Show. And that's what happened while we were away in two minutes or less. <laughs> you know, it's funny is most of that's true. Now, I haven't been on a set of skis since like the ninth grade. That's kind of your sorry. gig, right? Yeah. It is. Yeah, it, that's kind of his gig. But you are a straight from the bottle vinegar drinker, aren't you? And that's all I have left to be smug about because I can't be smug about the Badgers, as you well know. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and one thing you guys will learn about me is I'm actually a pretty gracious winner. Like, I've not said a single word about the game since I came in this morning, have I? You have not? I'm not. I, I'm a gracious winner, but Aaron will know from having played poker with me, I am a really sore loser. Really? I don't like losing. I'm one of those guys. I, I'm, I'm so much fun to be around in that I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. You know, after you win, you're like, all right, so when, how do we avoid the next loss? So, you know, big win for the Big Blue. It was. You know, but um, I know. Against a bad team. I, yeah, against, it, it's not a bad team. It's not as good as they were supposed to be, but it's it's not it's, a bad team. It's, it's dreadful. It's, it's going to probably still win its division, and it looked dreadful because they played a good team. See, I'm I'm trying to be gracious. The smug is already coming out. Aaron, How's now I know smug what you're talking to say about. I'm, I'm bad. I'm trying to be gracious. That's not smug. We're bad. No, no, see, I, that's reverse psychology. You're taking away the credit. That the other team deserves for how well they played. Okay. <laughs> I know what you're talking about now, Aaron. It <laughs> is. It is true. I get it. I try to be gracious. It's like neat. And, and smug over here won't let you do it. So here's what we wanted to do for the first week of our of, of this new partnership between the Blaze and CRTV is we have a certain way of doing things. You know, when I was on Glenn Beck's show Friday, he was like, What 
what's different about your show? And I'm like, well, I, I kind of undersold it a little bit. I said, you know, we, we, we kind of do things a little different than a lot of other conservative uh, talk shows do. And the truth of the matter is we kind of do things way different, uh, um, actually. We're a lot different than everybody else. And I don't know that that's better. You know, we're, we're still finding out whether this can be successful or not. I think I told you guys when you got hired on here that this is going to either Thelma and Louise, right? We're either going out in a blaze of glory or we're going to completely blow up the industry in a good way because we're, we're going to be radically different than a lot of other stuff that you've heard. And, and one of the things we're going to do here on the show this week is we're going to do what we're going to call Steve Day Show 101. And so every day during the program, we've got a running theme that we want to introduce a brand new audience to our show about why it is we do the things we do and why we do them the way that we do them, right? You guys okay with that? Better than okay, yeah. All right, so today we're going to start with just sort of, and we're going to spend the couple of hours here today talking about big picture meta narratives and themes that sort of guide us and drive us and how we do our show. And when we're talking about, I, I, we do do some planning on this show as you get used to. <laughs> Min- minimal. Minimal. <laughs> Again, I think I undersold some. Actually, no, I oversold some. There is some. It is minimal. Yes, it is very minimal. We don't do a lot of scripting or anything of that nature. Um, I, I like reacting things as much as possible for the audience kind of off the cuff. So like I didn't even see the montage until just now. And man, Steve, you put a lot of trust in your, in your employees. Well, I'm kind of like, you know, I kind of subscribe to the Bear Bryant school of hiring, you know, the old great Alabama coach. And they once asked him way back in the day, how he had such a great track record in hiring other assistant coaches who would go on and become really good head coaches. And he's like, you know, well, you know, why would I hire somebody who doesn't know something that I don't know and can't do what I either can or won't do, right? I mean, if I, if I know what you know and I can do or want to do what you're doing, why don't I just keep your money myself and do it, right? Indeed. So, you know, yeah, I'm going to hire people that I think might be better at things than I am and might be uh, better at doing or willing to do things I don't want to do or can't do. And so, yes, I have an enormous amount of trust. Sometimes, particularly where Aaron is concerned, it will Backfire. It will backfire, backfire tremendously. Yeah. And those are some of the more fun moments of the program. Yeah. Okay. Then there are moments where I try to be gracious to Todd and Smug uh, appears and it's not possible. But other than that, most of the time you guys do come through. All right. So we do though have a different way of doing things. And today we're going to sort of plot out for you and you're going to hear these phrases and expressions a lot in the future. Well, at least like for the next seven or eight days, so they figure out this partnership's not going to work and we just go back to what we're doing, okay? So in the limited time that you will probably be exposed to this show here on The Blaze, these are observations you're going to hear a lot on the program about why we do things the way we do and we do them the way that we do them, okay? We're going to talk about each of these individually. We get to as many of these throughout the course of the show today as we possibly can, all right? And I, I tried to put these in some order, so they're not just in random order, okay? Here's our first thing about our show, how, why we do what we do and the way we do them. Number one, we believe politics flows downstream from culture, right? So if you want to dam a river, and, and let's say uh, progressivism, which we'll talk about in a second. Progressivism is the raging river that we're trying to stop so that we can plant a civilization or sustain one so we can avoid it flooding the plain, tearing out our crops and our, our dwellings and our homes and uprooting our way of life, Right. Where do you dam a river at? Well, uh, you probably want to dam it way downstream once all the inertia. Uh, no, 
no, that's not what you want to do. Now, that's typically what conservatism does. Typically, what we do as conservatives is we're reactionary. We're just reacting. We just sit around all day. Most conservative media, by the way, is not an offensive force, but a reactive one. Where we're just kind of reacting to whatever the mainstream media narrative is today. Like today, for whatever reason, Elizabeth Warren decided to defend her fake Native American heritage by pointing out she's 0.0000000000000000001%, literally. That was her. That's her percent of Native American. It's science, Steve. Yeah, it's yes. science. And so, yeah, we we we. I thought we might have fun trolling this for like thirty minutes. It's been four hours. What are we doing as we speak? That's all we're doing. Why? Because the the left sets the narrative. We react to it. All right. That's great for clicks, and that's great for paychecks. It's terrible for culture terraforming. It's terrible for winning a culture war because you're always on defense. You're never playing offense, okay? And so we believe, um, because we've at least read a civil engineer manual once, you actually dam a river at the source. If you wait till it gets way downstream when inertia and momentum and energy takes over, it's much more difficult than if you go up the stream before it gets that momentum going. And you know where that source is, gentlemen? It is the culture. And so... If you, you may not know this about me, I've had a, a long career for the last 10 years working in depth in the nuts and bolts of politics. I've recruited candidates. I have done data analytics, including for the Ted Cruz campaign just in 2016 in his run for president. Um, I've done uh, professional messaging for candidates. I've written radio and television commercials you have listened to and seen probably, or at least consulted on them. So I, I, and I, I, I get the data and nuts and bolts of politics. On our show, we believe that too much time is spent in conservative media on that and not as much time on culture. And that paradigm, Todd, actually has to be inverted because here's why. The math doesn't change once it's on the page. Once we get to the page and we write A plus B, the answer is going to be C. It's too late for that. You need to change the math before it gets put on the page. We often are trying to change the math after it's already on the page. You need to change the formula before it gets cemented. And the culture, Todd, will determine the formula. Well, yeah, the uh, the folks who believe in uh, John Adams dictate that, uh, uh, you know, me and my generation, we start war so our sons can study politics and then so their sons can study the arts. Uh, cons- conservatives actually hardly believe that anymore. Uh, it's actually progressives that believe that more than anybody because they do, at least at a, a guttural level, uh, they're, they, they are going uh, to war to terraform the world and refashion it in the image according to the idols that they seek. We have been on autopilot so long, again, as conservatives, and, and I was going to snarkily say to Steve, you know, what's one of the ways we're different from conservatives? Well, we're actually conservative. And we yeah, we're trying to conserve things. something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think a good assessment of where America is at right now is the is leftists, and I use that, we're going to use that term more than liberals, and we'll tell you why later in the show. Leftists have the cultural influence conservatives wish they had and conservatives probably have the political power that a lot of leftists wish they had and and leftists are struggling to 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 implement the cultural influence they have into political power like we saw with brett kavanaugh a couple of weeks ago and and that's where their rioting and mobocracy is there is they're essentially becoming political vigilantes to uh quote-unquote zealots but 
that's not a long-term strategy for success, all right? Eventually, whoever's winning the culture is going to take over the political power as well. It's the old Margaret Thatcher line. First, you win the debate, and then you win the election. So right now, we have a window, a very short, small one, to use the political authority we have in a way to try to get back some of the cultural authority, masses of it that we've lost in the last generation. But once that window closes, eventually, eventually, it's like the turnover battle in football. You may be ahead on the scoreboard, but if you're minus three in turnovers and only up by a couple of points, chances are you're still going to probably lose that game, okay? And that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, We are losing the culture systemically. And if we continue to allow that to happen, eventually the political power that we think we have right now with more Republicans in elected office than at any point since before the Great Depression, et cetera, uh, five Supreme Court nominees on the justices on the Supreme Court, et cetera, the political power that the right thinks it has now will completely evaporate if it continues to cede cultural influence to the left. Which brings us to our next point. Because we are on the cultural defensive right now, On our show, we believe the primary mode we must be in as a movement is in evangelism more so than the seeking and acquiring of political power. All right, we believe we're in evangelism mode. We don't believe anymore in the silent majority. We we think that's a phrase from the 70s and 80s that likely doesn't exist. There There might be out there a silent plurality. Well, Steve, what about the 2016 election? You know, Donald Trump won the three states that determined that election by a total of 78,000 votes. That ain't a silent majority, guys. That is going to Vegas at, with your last paycheck from your job with, and, and saying, honey, we're just going to let it all ride on, on, on this hand at the craps table and hope that it hits. Okay, it might hit. And if it does, great for you. Most of the time, is that going to hit? Is that, is that a long-term strategy for paying your bills, gentlemen. Never. Never. Probably not. Okay? So the idea that you're going to ever do that again, you're going to win three the, the three most decisive states by a total of 78,000 votes, I wouldn't bet on that. I wouldn't bet on 20,000 black voters that voted for Barack Obama in 2012 staying, staying home in 2016 because that's how Trump won Wisconsin. That number right there. I wouldn't bet on that again. All right? So you didn't really, I don't, we, we, you didn't change a paradigm. You rolled snake eyes. And it just happened to come through, probably some providential help, I would imagine, and it worked. But again, that that's a, that's like calling a timeout. We use a lot of sports analogies. We're all sports guys on the show, okay? That's like calling a timeout in a basketball game when the other team's on a 10-0 run, and you, you stop their momentum, but you got to start. You're still down on the scoreboard. You got to keep scoring points to get back ahead of the game. And that's kind of what the the 2016 election was. We need to go into evangelism mode as a conservative movement. We need to add people to our ranks, and the people we think primarily we have to add the commercially millennial, uh, his generation over there. We do believe America is headed for a demographic winter, but we don't think it's based on race or ethnicity because we think the values we're trying to conserve as conservatives transcend all of those uh, utilitarian, largely pagan uh, identity identity politics divisions. It's the generation that we have lost. All right, the next generation that we are about to hand this over to, um, you know, they didn't fight against the Soviet Union. Or learn from their parents who did. And, you know, there's a great reform theologian named D.A. Carson that made this cultural observation a few years ago that cultures tend to evolve and devolve on three generation cycles. And he puts it this way. What one generation believes, the next generation assumes and the third generation will reject. Because we traditionally have a difficult time passing on our values 
to you know ensuing generations, right? So we have this baby boom generation that fought fascism, that fought communism, that fought totalitarianism. We are their children, you and I, Todd. The, the uh, well, yeah. The the, gen- the I guess we would say the greatest generation actually uh, would be the generation that did that. The baby boom generation, most of them, yeah, yeah, the counterculture, but most of them, and Trump is a byproduct of the baby boom generation, have kind of assumed some, a lot of those values. Now, our generation, the third generation, Generation X, have kind of rejected a lot of those. And now we get to the millennial generation, and their generation's up for grabs. And their generation will start and reboot that three-generation cycle over again. And so we need to go into evangelism mode, Aaron. We've got to, we've got to not just throw out slogans and talking points like, I believe in the Second Amendment. We have to explain to your generation why we need a Second Amendment, for example. Yeah, and the million-dollar question here is how do we do that? And that's tomorrow's show uh, for the most part, the Ten Commandments of Political Warfare. But you're absolutely right. What, and what do we mean when we talk about culture? I mean that's, a, that's kind of a broad term going back to the first point. Culture, um, I would say, I would I would put it anywhere, any institution where minds can be formed and directed. I would say acad- ac- 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 academics. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is uh, you know uh, culture, like Hollywood, pop culture. Mm-hmm. So when you have minds, when you have a captive audience, you can form those minds and cause them to go wherever you want. And right now, the left has most of those institutions, if not all of them. And so how do we actually fight back, and how do we go into evangelism mode? That's tomorrow's show. But I will say this. When we are talking about fighting leftists, it is very hard to actually come to the table with uh, with facts and figures, not just say we're uh, supporters of the Second Amendment because it's constitutional or it's in the Constitution. Even if you say why, then it's still very difficult when you're arguing with leftists to actually have a conversation, to have a debate. The best way to reach others who disagree with you is to ask questions. And I would say just in general, uh, when you're trying to win people to your side of any particular argument, always go for the emotion. We like to think, and we are very analytical thinkers, and as conservatives, we're very philosophical thinkers as well, most of us. Um and so we like to think that just having the facts on your side is everything. No, you have to make an emotional appeal. And that's really what's going to help us get back into winning people over to seeing our side of things and conservatism in general, making an emotional appeal and asking a lot of questions. And, and that's got to be an emotional appeal that's, that is undergirded by truth exactly. and testimony yep. as opposed to a raw emotional appeal yes. like what you typically see from the left. Yes. Um, this next point. Is pretty simple, Todd. It speaks for itself. Without revival, and we are talking like revival, guys. We're talking like heaven sent, spirit comes down, and people are, you know, transformed and culture is different. Great awakenings. I mean, it's it's not a coincidence. There was a great awakening and then there was an American revolution. Once people are freed from the tyranny of their own sin, they're going to start looking around and saying, why do I have to be subjected to your sin? I, I, I prefer to live in direct accountability to God from whom my rights come and all blessings flow than under the tyranny and, and subjectivity of sinful man, right? So uh, I'm going to reject, when, when, when we are not freed from the tyranny of our own sin, we seek more government in order to protect us from the sinfulness of other people. When we are freed from the tyranny of our own sin, we then desire to be 
uh, not governed by other sinful people as well. And so that's why without revival, like Second Chronicles 7, 14 stuff, and yes, I know that's about ancient Israel, but the general principle is the same. Without great awakenings, there won't be revolutions of liberty, period. Yeah, and that's as, as obvious as ever uh, because we are here in the 21st century America, we are the most educated, again, we do a lot of this, Aaron perfected that, the shaky air quotes, we're the most educated people in the history of mankind in terms of the amount of time we spend in something called schooling. But we are also simultaneously the people that somebody tweeted today, you have to believe that uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren is Native American because she's .00, as Steve said, but you also have to believe uh, that a dude can become a chick just because they want to. Mm -hmm. These are the literally the smartest people in the room uh, that believe that. So it goes to the point about what what is required that Steve mentioned, and I can't echo enough the fact the cycles of history that Steve talked about. There's a great book I recommend. It's called The Fourth Turning. It's not explicitly Christian. It's by Strauss and Howe, uh, but it's about how those cycles play out through all human history. And if you read that, what you get from that is that we have always been sheep. We, no matter how smart, no matter how dumb, we are constantly, as a people, just acting and reacting. It, it, it is Pavlov's dog stuff. And the only thing that ultimately saves those sheep is the savior that we often talk about on this show. Next point that you need to know if you're going to get to know us. In the end, you know, like real estate's at location, location, location. Culture is about these three things, guys. Worldview, worldview, and one more time worldview. Steve, what's a worldview? It's essentially how you see the world and your place in it. And, and, and that worldview is going to determine your ideology. It's going to determine your philosophy, which then will determine your behavior. Um, and I think we're kind of trying to reverse engineer the formula here in the conservative movement. And the reason why is because there's no way really to go after the core worldview without dealing with existential issues of morality and fundamental um, values that, that we're going, we're getting, as the culture becomes more secular and pagan, much more of the right is getting uncomfortable addressing this yep. uh, because it's just not accepted in the polite company of many of their friends on the left. I saw Eric Erickson at the Resurgent uh, tweeted out an article today about how a guy at the American Enterprise Institute, which is considered one of the conservative, proud conservative institutions of thought on the right, bonded with uh, one of his thinkers and somebody over the Washington Post over discussions of gender fluidity. That's, guys, that's a psychosis. I don't know. The, uh, I mean, I don't, that's what it is. When, when you look at the penis between your legs and say, I'm going to deny the reality that is in front of me, and I'm going to deny the reflection in my mirror. Uh, I'm going to deny what my chromosomes, which were set before birth, say. And I'm going to assert a reality contrary. Let let, let's take it out of the politically correct sphere. Would we, would, at, at any other area, any other facet of human existence, if someone denied what was the clear, obvious reality, would we have a problem saying they're suffering from a psychosis? No. No. If someone decided I'm going to deny gravity, Gravity doesn't exist, and no matter how convicted they were in their assessment, gravity didn't exist, would we not say that person probably has a mental health issue? Would we be okay saying that? 
Uh, we would as the live there truth yeah. crowd, but I, I hope most would say. No. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking at the crowd outside of Lot's house. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah. So we're not going to, because it's not politically correct to assert reality. We're not going to lie about reality on this show. And the, and the reality is we have to be willing as conservatives to look at the fundamental world views. We've got to answer the why questions. One of the things that, and we're going to attack worldview later on this week here on the show, when we get into what I call three-dimensional thinking, that's a key cog in going after worldviews of why people believe what they believe. Because here is maybe the most politically incorrect thing you can say today in America is what our next statement is. Human nature is not basically good. Human nature is not basically good. If human nature was basically good, we wouldn't need what, Todd? We would need a savior. So the fact that we need a savior means we can't save ourselves. If we were basically good, what would we be able to do, Aaron? Wouldn't we be able to save ourselves? Save ourselves. We could save ourselves. And the fact we can't save ourselves right away shows we're not basically good. If you could just get that, boy, I'd love to ask our politicians at a debate. People ask me all the time, you get asked one question, Steve, what would you ask? This is the question I would ask, the one right on your screen right now. Is human nature basically good? Because their answer to that question is going to tell you later how they're ultimately going to govern, no matter what their talking points are. The answer to that question will tell you ultimately what they really are, who they really are, and what they ultimately believe. Is human nature basically good? On this show, we don't believe that it is. So that gets you a quick start in things you need to know to get to know us. And we're just getting started. More here on the other side. Stay tuned. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show alongside Todd and Aaron. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And each day, Todd will be hosting a little live Facebook chat pinned to the top of our Facebook wall while we're doing this live each day from noon to 2 Eastern here on The Blaze. And uh, for later in the day for our subscribers at CRTV as well. And don't forget the podcast, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. Leave us a positive five-star review if you like us. If you don't, don't lie. Just remember what your mom said. You ain't got nothing nice to say. Say nothing at all. Plus, we're you know pretty sensitive here, and you would hurt our feelings by criticizing us. But if you like us, those five-star reviews, we really appreciate them. All right, so we're continuing. It's our first week here, and as you know, the show grows uh, we'll incorporate calls and more direct live interaction each day. But we thought this first week really kind of needed to be like freshman orientation, right? So how, why do we do the things we do in the way that we do them? How do you guys get to know us a little bit better for our new audience here on The Blaze? And so here are some of the meta themes we're talking about them today that drive how we do this show and why we think the way we think. And all of these are important. This is one of the most important ones, though. Progressivism is the spirit of the age heresy that must be defeated 
or Western civilization will be lost to history. Now, we've got to define some terms here, okay? You, you cannot defeat an enemy that you don't understand or recognize what it truly is. Progressivism, and I think this is why the church is on the defensive more so than any other reason in the culture other than its own abrogation that they volunteered for, largely. Um, but the church has failed to recognize what progressivism really is. It, it thinks it's a political party. A lot of your orthodox, and we mean that small o, okay, people that hold on to a, the, an orthodox Judeo-Christian theological, uh, theistic worldview. Uh, you know, the, essentially the theistic worldview that founded and sustained America uh, for the last 240 years. A, a lot of those in, in, in our pulpits that have that orthodox theistic view, they believe progressivism is the Democratic Party. And so they're either hesitant or unwilling to attack it head on or confront it head on because they don't want to seem like political prostitutes. And I see this especially, Todd, with, you know, I don't know if you see this with the next generation of, of priests in your neck, in your neighborhood, but I see this with a lot of the evangelical uh, leaders and ministers my age that are getting ready to take over. They don't want to be the next Ralph Reed, Robert Jeffress clowns, where they're essentially team GOP whores and shills. And, and so they've kind of, in their, and, and they're right to not want to become the next version of those guys. But in not wanting to become a certain kind of idol, they become another. Yes, they, they, this is the false choice, because this is how we, we love false choices as human nature, right? And so they're going to swing the pendulum all the way over the other way and just completely vacate the public sphere altogether, right? So I don't know if you see that in the priesthood, in, in our generation of the priesthood that's taken over now in the Catholic Church. But we're, we, we, we are seeing two things happen in American evangelicalism where Aaron and I live, which is a rise of progressivism within evangelicalism, and it's largely being answered by public, va- public uh, exodus. We're just going to exodus the public sphere because there's no way we can address what's happening in the public sphere without becoming politically tainted and jokesters and frauds and our own memes and uh, just show our self lack of self-awareness backside to the American public every day. Here's the problem with that. Progressivism isn't a political party. Progressivism is what happened to the Democratic Party, guys. Do you guys remember? Let me give you an example. Remember the whole fight over the, um, the RIFRA in Indiana when Mike Pence was still governor a few years ago? Yes. Well, what fight? What fight? The other side picked a fight of Mike Pence assume the position, right? But do you remember that? He became vice president of the United States. (laughs) Spectacular failing upwards, yes. Um, What happened is that RIFRA that Mike Pence originally signed into law was copied verbatim, I mean verbatim, from the RIFRA that President Clinton signed into law in 1993 that was sponsored by a guy named Chuck Schumer back in those days. And... How did the Democratic Party in about a generation go from advancing protections for religious freedom to now becoming the party of bake the cake bigot? And if you don't change your religion for what the state says, we just shut your business down. Or if you're Kim Davis, we put you in jail. How did that happen? A political movement doesn't have the power to do that, guys. Not a a mere mortal instruments alone don't create that dynamic. There, what you saw there was a massive worldview transformation within the Democratic Party, which is another way of saying they changed their religion, guys. And their religion is progressivism. 
Progressivism, I use the word heresy for a reason. It is not a mere political philosophy. This is the spirit of the age that you're up against. It's the Arius, Marcion, um, Pelagius. Uh, this, is, this is the notion that the government is God and the state replaces the church as the primary vehicle, therefore, of cultural influence of determining what is right and what is wrong. And unless we are willing to confront progressivism on that level, there's, there's absolutely no hope whatsoever for Western civilization. And what is Western civilization, Todd? If you, tell me if you're okay with this definition. Essentially, Western civilization... Are, is the is the morality and the traditions that we adro- we adopted in Western culture because of influence of Judeo Christian, um, yes, uh, religious and and philosophical belief. A good way of looking at Western civilization is it's the culture. I would put it this way. You might disagree. It's the culture that was inspired by the by largely by the Catholic Church, and then probably was saved by the Protestant Reformation because it was dying on the vine. At that point in history, but that's essentially many of the notions that we have of the 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 human beings creating in the image of God, for example. These are things that come right out of the Judeo-Christian uh, foundation that established Western civilization. Well, either way, in terms of the particulars of history, it, this is about first things, non-negotiable right. first things. Steve will talk about his open hand and closed hand philosophy, perhaps a little bit more. But the closed hand is the thing you can't. You can't argue your way out of. If you do, uh, you ha- will have no uh, civilization left to protect. That's why one of my taglines when I'm responding to news uh, uh, on uh, Facebook or Twitter, uh, and I, I don't write something original, it's simply progressivism is cancer. I don't mean to write that to be hyperbolic. It's an accurate diagnosis. Mm-hmm. This is There's other things, the, phil- the political philosophies. There's always been things throughout human history that we do or don't do that make the American experiment work better or worse, make it a little clunky. But none of them... In in and of themselves are a contagion that will take us down. Progressivism can't do anything but take us down yep. because it is inherently iconoclastic. It's not aspirational, really. It wants to destroy the good, the true, and the beautiful that Steve has talked about. And for people that don't know what that word iconoclastic, one of my favorite words Todd uses, what it means, it means it purposefully seeks to deconstruct norms. That's what it means. It is seeking, it's not, it's not trying to create, to start an argument. It is trying to deconstruct the pre-established norms. That's what it means. And because of that, Aaron, that brings us to our next point here. The only thing that can defeat a bad theology like progressivism, and yes, I'm using that term theology for a reason, is a good theology like the word of God. So we are not shy uh, about referring to the word of God on our show. Now, you know, if, if, if Aaron sneezes, you're not going to hear me in the middle of the show. You're not going to be, by his stripes, you are healed. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. We're not, we don't open up the show and say, thus speaketh the Lord God of hosts on this day of the Lord. That's not, no, we, we live in the 21st century, guys. That's Thursday. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sometimes you might do that. You're right. But most of the time we live in, we're talking about applying it in a contemporary, understandable way, taking the most ancient and accurate of truths that come from the only undefeated being in the history of the cosmos, but applying them in a way that applies to the world that we live in right now. Yeah, and that's, that, that is the key here. And you wonder why uh, progressivism, as you've descri- described it, Steve, 
as it's uh, as it is what happened to the Democratic Party. You wonder why it's been so successful. At the end of the day, I think it is so successful because it preys and it pushes on that little notion. The P-R-E-Y. Yeah, preys on that little notion. You be like God, because mm-hmm. basically that is the rejection of this. Once you reject God as he is portrayed and as he is in the Bible and as we know him to be, um, you become your own God. And government is made up of people. So as, as you were saying, Steve, um, the pr- progressivism is this notion that government is God. Again, the state replaces the church by means uh, or for the purpose of transforming the culture. It is all based on that one first little lie. It's a pretty big lie, but it's that first lie that we hear about in the f- book of Genesis, ye be like God. That is why it is so successful, because we are inherently, because of what we talked about before, human nature is not basically good, we are inherently um, egotistical. We love me some me, and we would love to be God. And that's why progressivism, at its core, there are a lot of other reasons as well, but at its, at its core, it is so successful, and it's easily adopted because it preys on that one little notion that ye be like God. If, if I could illustrate, for those of you that are kind of new to these sorts of um existential philosophical conversations a a simple way to grasp what we're talking about the last few minutes when i was down in um in uh in dallas on friday and i was with glenn and Stu and pat uh, doing a a live uh, segment talking about the launch of this new endeavor and partnership between the blaze and crtv and when i got done we were taking some promotional shots and in the in in the back room when we were taking the photos one of glenn's infamous chalkboards that he likes to bring out was sitting there. And the first principle I noticed written on, when I, on, on that chalkboard that Glenn had written, first principle was there is a higher law. Progressivism says we are a law unto ourselves. We are the law. Progressivism is like when Palpatine screams, I am the Senate. That's what progressivism is. Yep. We are the law. I, I, I am a male. I am a female because I want to be. I, I decide what the truth is. We are that higher law. They would reject that. We as conservatives, that is the number one principle we must conserve, that there is a higher law. That is the number one difference between us and them and them and us. That right there. All right, which brings us to the next point. We are big fans of letting the lion out of its cage. Now, this is a reference to one of the great Reformed theologians of yesteryear, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who was asked why he didn't spend a lot of time defending the Scriptures against this new form of skepticism at the time that was called textual criticism. And it was this idea, because, you know, I know it seems weird now, because this is we have archaeology and stuff that has proven this stuff true, but it wasn't too long ago, you know, maybe a century or so ago, the skeptics would say things like, King David never lived. There was no such people as the Hittites. And, and, you know, we've got a street here in Des Moines named after a guy named Ingersoll. And this guy Ingersoll used to go around the country way back in the day, and he had this, this presentation he would give called The Mistake of Moses. And he would point out, because of Darwinian thinking, that Moses could not have written the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and therefore he never got any law of God, never really existed, and there's no point really in ever following anything that comes from the Bible whatsoever. And audiences back in this time period are eating it up 
And, and because we didn't have this new science yet that was fully developed called archaeology, which had gone over to the Middle East and dug a lot of these artifacts up. And I mean, there were literally serious thinkers that thought for until about 100 years ago, Jesus Christ never lived. Because, you know, Josephus, Pliny the Elder, names now that we, have to, that we know from archaeology and history weren't widely known yet, okay? And so they went to, they went to one of the great Western uh, preachers of that era, Charles Spurgeon. And they asked him, you know, why don't you spend a lot of time defending the Bible against textual criticism? Why do you just let the Bible kind of speak for itself in your preaching? And one of my all-time favorite lines Spurgeon responded, I would no more defend the Bible than I would defend a caged lion. Simply let the lion out of its cage and it will defend itself just fine. There, I have a fantastic Catholic uh, corollary to that. And that's one of the great parts about this show. Uh, sometimes uh, we talk about differences therein, but mostly there's very much a uh, mere Christianity feel to this. And we, we do that because we so respectfully uh, talk about uh, things. But Flannery O'Connor, many of you are familiar with her as an author. She's uh, a Catholic. And in talking about uh, the Eucharist, somebody said, well, you know, isn't it just as useful to somebody if it's just a symbol? And Flannery O'Connor said, well, if it's just a symbol, then the than the hell with it. And she's like, are we are we real or are we not? And that's mm-hmm. exactly what Steve's talking about this faith. This isn't it's not just a box you check on the side of several other <laughs> things to do. It is the box. It's the only box. It's the only box that makes sense of all the other boxes. So check it and check it well otherwise everything else doesn't make sense. There's a reason skeptics will often say, make an argument without using the Bible. It's 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 like saying to Nick Saban in Alabama, uh, you know, beat me without your best players. Well, I recruit better players than you do if I'm Nick Saban. So why, why would I put my second or third string in when I know I can put Tua Tonga Vailoa in and he doesn't have to play in the fourth quarter every week? It's like saying, punch me with your imaginary hand. Yes. No, I like this one. Yes. Imagine a general who had the most devastating weapon ever devised in the history of mankind in this hangar over here. And he thought, you know, snap, it's going to be really offensive to my enemy if I if I drop this one on him. You know, and and I just... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to offend my opponent. I don't want to defend my enemy. So I'm going to take the most devastating weapon I have. I'm just going to leave it over here under under wraps on mothballs. What, what kind of general would, be, would that person well, be? You're not even going far enough. You have that devastating one in the face of an enemy who is promising to wipe you out. Yes. Yeah. yeah that would be a bad general, by yes. the way. Okay. So, you know, we're not smart. We're SMRT on this show, brother. SMRT smart, as my kids used to say when they were little, okay? Uh, but we're smart enough to know when there's one undefeated being in the history of the universe, and this is his haymaker, I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel here. I'm just going to, I'm going to pull, I'm, guys, I don't, have to, I don't have to be Joe Torre to know. Let me see. Bottom of the ninth, we're up by one run in the World Series. We got Mariano Rivera down in the bullpen. Let's make a call, right? I mean, yeah. how smart do you have to be to make that call? You got Mariano Rivera down in the bullpen to close this thing out. I'm just going to make a call, and I'm going to wait for him to get three outs, and we're going to try to beat the traffic home. And that's kind of how we roll here with uh, the Word of God, all right? Um, now, a couple of these some of you are going to struggle with, maybe. This next one. Tribalism is for suckers and losers. I would go so far as to say... If you gave me a choice, and I think progressivism is the heresy of the age, but if you forced me, Steve, would you rather live with my tribalism or my progressivism? I think I'd rather live with your progressivism. Because at least you're taking 
some form of objective stand that I can argue against. Tribalism is pure subjective idolatry. It's tolerance for thee and not for me. It's, it's what I used to experience when I was doing sports talk radio. I remember the first real fight I ever got into in my sports talk radio career is the University of Iowa had this point guard named Pierre Pierce, and he had raped a women's basketball player, and they put him right back on the team. You remember this story? Of course. And I, I was like total foul putting him back on the team under scholarship and Iowa fans would call my show losing it on me and Iowa State fans loved me for doing this and then a couple years later Iowa State had a star football player that beat up a kid for four dollars and a cell phone went to jail for eight months and literally the day after he got out of jail they put him right back on scholarship and I'm like no he's got to earn his way back and it was interesting suddenly the same Iowa State fans who loved me when I was all law and order for the Iowa Hawkeyes were wondering why I didn't believe in second chances anymore and the same Iowa fans who thought hey why don't you believe in second chances suddenly love my law and order stance? That's what we mean by tribalism. This is where, hey, I love my Michigan Wolverines. But dude, if, if, if we decide we're going to operate the way uh, Penn State did a few years ago or Ohio State did with domestic violence, you guys know me well enough to know, man, I will throw everyone wearing my uniform under the bus. I will not tolerate that. If I'm against it, if we think something's wrong, we think it's wrong no matter what the circumstance is, the situation is, and most importantly, whatever damn uniform you're wearing, all right? Just because someone has an R after their name doesn't mean that they tiptoe between the raindrops, all right? We don't like we don't like big government, whether it comes from Republicans or Democrats. We don't like Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it comes from Republicans or Democrats, all right? So if you like your tribalism, this will not be the show for you. But we will enjoy kicking you in the shins as often as we can in the name of Jesus. Done in the books. We continue Steve Day Show 101 with Hour 2 right here on The Blaze and CRTV. Next. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Glenn Beck is coming live to talk about the right path forward and to make fun of the people standing in the way. He might not be able to save the country, but at least we can all go down laughing. Glenn Beck Live, the Addicted to Outrage Tour, on tour this fall. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. All right, back here with hour two of the new expanded Steve Dace Show here on The Blaze Live, powered each day by CRTV. And yes, hello to our CRTV subscribers. Nothing has changed for you. It's just you're getting more bang for your buck. You're getting even more content than you previously paid for. And... We're still available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify as well. Subscribe there to the podcast if you're a podcast listener. And uh, make sure uh, that uh, if you have time and you dig how we do things here, you like the way we finger roll, uh, leave us a five-star review there on your podcast platform as well. Todd and Aaron are here with me. And uh, gentlemen, we're doing this thing. It's Steve Dace Show 101, Steve Dace Orientation 
for all of our new viewers and uh, and listeners here at the Blaze TV and Radio uh, as well. Todd, you're doing a Facebook chat. Correct. Uh, we're going to do that every single day. And as we get into more of our, once we get past orientation and this gets more topical on a daily basis, we'll have you know the, the audience there on our Facebook page just to look up Steve Dace on Facebook and give us a like there. Because Facebook is claiming only nine more people have liked me in the last two years. I'm sure that that's legit, guys. I'm sure that's legit. That I think legit? Waymar followed you. Nine, only nine extra people may like you. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's great distinction, Todd. That's possible. Uh, one of the reasons uh, it's in their job description to keep my ego in check, and that uh, was Todd uh, hitting his daily quota. So well done. Yeah, so so far you're talking to people on Facebook. Yeah, they're, they're, they're welcome us to So the, far, lovely. All right, good. All right, so when we get into more topical conversations, uh, those of you that uh, are taking part in the Facebook chat with Todd, you'll be invited to take part in those as well. But for the first week here on the show, it's kind of freshman orientation, Steve Day Show 101. Now, if you are familiar with what we do every day on CRTV, a lot of this, you've just never heard us do this in one concentrated dose, but you've heard a lot of these meta themes uh, on a regular basis. But for our new uh, audience here at The Blaze, this may be a little new to you. Here's the next big picture thing you need to know. Idolatry leads to lucid insanity, okay? Now, this is a relatively new addition, to sort of the Steve Dace lexicon, if you will. Now, idolatry is one of those stained glass window words. It sounds old-fashioned, but essentially here's what it means. It means anything from this material world that you decide to put your faith in other than God is really what it means. And it can be anything. I mean, I'm wearing my favorite team right here. You've got your alma mater and favorite team right there on your PC. today. Let's talk Uh, Bruce. I hear you. Okay, but... It would be like, let's say you think rape is bad because you're, I don't know, human, right? You think rape is bad. But then you find out tonight's starter for game three of the NLCS has been, there's an allegation out there against him and, you know, or it's your cleanup hitter, right? And it's the playoffs. And then you decide rape is bad, but, well, you know, women lie. And hey, hey, we believe all people are sinful. Right? You've got four daughters. I've got two, but I'm a father of sons as well. So there have been examples. Uh, there was a case at the University of Minnesota just earlier this year uh, where uh, one of the former players who is now on the team and suing the school for racial discrimination, uh, they were going to kick him out of school for a Title IX allegation that the police investigated and decided there was not enough evidence to convict uh, because they didn't find the, they find the accusation credible. It does happen. All right, there was a case at the University of Tennessee where a guy lost a scholarship spot on the team, was kicked out of the school, and then a jury looked at the evidence and, and flat out acquitted him. So it does happen. But in this case, though, you're not, that's not why you're asserting it. You're asserting it because we need this guy in the lineup tonight. We haven't, right. we haven't been to the World Series since 1982. When was last, I think Hank Aaron was on the, on the Brewers last time he won one of these Pretty things. Pretty darn close. Yeah, right? So um, that's where we start changing what we think. Because ultimately, you may say you might even go to Mass. You may be there bright and bushy-tailed every Sunday morning. But when you start deciding, based on what's best from my brewers, I'm going to determine what I think right and wrong is, really, your faith is where? Not where it should be. Yeah, it's really in the brewers. Which means it's not really yeah. you know, a faith that's, I mean, it's the opposite. It's right. destruction. And it, and it's, 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 it's why the prophet, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, when he used to mock those that were worshiping their wooden idols. And he used to say, hey, which which part of this fake piece of wood do you know to worship and which part do you know to burn? 
right? It's it's like the the Old Testament prophet Elijah there on Mount Carmel when he was mocking the idolatry, the prophets of of the idolatrous religion of the age when they had their big showdown, and he's like, I don't know, hey, is your is your fake idol god? Maybe he's taking a dump. He was literally telling them this, running smack. Maybe he's dropping a deuce right now, and he's just too busy to come in and burn up your offering for you, all right? These are the fake things of this world that we are convinced we have to put our faith in, um, as opposed to the one true living God, master, king of the universe, forever and ever, amen. When we do this, and you're seeing this a lot on the left right now, it's what we call lucid insanity, Meaning lucid, you're aware, you're awake. If you've heard of walking pneumonia or functional alcoholics, you're aware, you're awake. But the minute the idol snaps its fingers, rattles its zipper, gives you the siren song, or the bell rings, suddenly the trigger happens. You march. And you march to whatever its orders are. And if you're wondering why you've got that one family member that anytime you guys can talk about anything, but the minute politics comes up, that's, that's what this is. When you see that countenance change, their demeanor change, the bristling. This is a form of, this is, you've, 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 you've stepped on their idol. And this is a form of lucid insanity. This, again, is a spiritual condition. And you're going to see more and more of this on the left, in particular, because progressivism is a false religion, Aaron. Yeah, and we have to look at it this way. It's not a political party that uh, needs to be beaten in elections. It's a false religion, and this goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show as well. The only thing that defeats a bad theology is a good theology. Now, a good theology practiced and actually not just preached as well, that's what's going to defeat progressivism. But you're absolutely right that this is just another form of idolatry. Guys, we what was it John Cal? We're a little our hearts are idol making factories. Mm-hmm. That's we all have idols, but there are some that are more powerful for whatever reason and stronger than others. And right now, progressivism, i.e. the government, is an idol to a lot of people in our country and in our culture. And as soon as the power structure around that uh, idol is threatened, by just a little bit. We saw this with the Brett Kavanaugh in the aftermath and during the Brett Kavanaugh uh, saga. People are just going crazy because, <laughs> because their idol called for them, because the power structure around that idol was threatened, and so they went, uh, they went to the wall for their idol, and we saw that. And like you pointed out when you first introduced this term, Steve, lucid insanity, before those guys, or before that young lady and that young man were dancing around the old old man supporting Trump and Kavanaugh at the rally, you saw that video. Before you saw the crowd surrounding the, the old person praying for the country at the Kavanaugh rally, all of the all, before they started pounding on the, the doors of the Supreme Court, what were they doing like 24 hours beforehand or 12 hours beforehand? I don't know. Maybe maybe they were just shouting into the into the ether like that woman at the Trump inauguration, but probably not. They were probably enjoying themselves, having mm-hmm. a nice Friday out Friday night out on the town. Probably not thinking about politics all that much. Maybe they were. Maybe this is how bad the idol is. But more the, uh, more likely than not, most people most people are just leaving leading normal lives. And then as soon as the idol comes, tells them to come hither. 
boy, they come hither and they come hither and they'll run over you in the process of doing that because it is, um, especially when it comes to progressivism as well, it is a powerful idol because really the idol is not the government. The idol is, is you. Mm-hmm. That's why they go to the wall, progressives. And what, that's why it must be defeated. Whatever causes us to act in a way contrary to the image of God in which we are made is your idol. Whatever it is. Is, is, it, is it your anger? Is it, um, is it sexuality? Whatever it is, just whatever it is that keeps causing you. And I don't mean, when I, when I say anger, I don't even mean like a, a temporary, I've lost my temper, an incredibly stressful situation. I mean when you are constantly losing your temper, that because it's out of self-justification. That's your idol. That's your idol. Whatever consistently is causing you to act and behave in a way you wouldn't in most other situations, except when this one particular thing comes up. And you know that it's contrary to the way that God made you. But you're just going to keep doing it anyway. That's your idol. And we all have them. It's the recognition of whether or not uh, we will confront them or allow the, uh, you know, allow the things God puts in our life to deal with those and confront them to do so. That's really what it's about. And the reason why you're seeing more of this, there's, there's plenty of idolatry on the right. Um, you see this now with Trump. The, the, the growing movement to, uh, I apologize for everything he says and does, even when it's obvious he's wrong. Or I criticize him even when it's obvious he's right. Right? And that is, that's idolatry. Trump's your God. You're letting Donald Trump determine for you what is right and wrong. Bill Crystal suddenly doesn't care for tax cuts now after arguing for him for 30 years because Trump signed him into law. Trump's his idol. Idols don't always, aren't always affirmative forms of affection. They can be negative forms as well. Right, your your particular your particular religious tradition that God says leave this up as a God says this is a matter of conscience. You know, one of the things we avoid talking on our show whenever we can, we can't totally avoid it, but we try to avoid talking eschatology as often as we possibly can. That just means study of how the human the age of human history comes to an end, the end of days. Why? Because. A lot of Christians, if you don't buy into their particular pet theory of how this all goes down, I remember one of our, the old church we used to attend, I went to lunch with one of our elders, who's about 20, 30 years older than me, and he brought up the topic of eschatology. And he brought up how Lindsay's late great planet Earth. And in the original edition, Lindsay predicted that God, that Jesus would return in 1988 because the literal definition of a generation was 40 years in the Bible. The Jews returned to Israel, it was May 15th, 1948, so 40 years would be 1988. And then in the ensuing editions, when 1988 came and went and Jesus didn't come back, then Hal Lindsey changed it to, well, the Jews didn't actually create or get full access to Jerusalem and make it their capital until the Six-Day War of Yom Kippur in 1967. So it's 40 years after 1967. It's 2007, and then 2007 came and went, no Jesus returning. And so we just keep moving the date. And the guy, I believe he's also on his third or fourth marriage, I think. I don't think he's a three-time widow, guys. Okay? And I point this out to this guy, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to need more than 
that as my source with all due respect. And dude, this guy right there at the deli, he lost it. Like slammed his drink down, clenched his fist. I thought we were going to throw down right here. And I mean, the guy's 30 years older than me. I bench what he weighs, guys. I mean, this was ridiculous that he's losing it like this. Okay. So why is he doing this? Because Hal Lindsey was his idol. That was his idol. That was his, that was his, that was his tradition. That was that, that's what made him feel religious. And I stepped on it and it might shock you. I might've done it slightly sarcastically. Okay. Which is my idol. (laughs) Okay. What happens when two idols collide? You remember those Fox shows when animals attack, right? When two idols collide, what happens? This get clenched and we're, it's on. It's why Catholics and Protestants killed themselves out in the, seriously, let's be serious about it. It's why Catholics and Protestants, instead of sitting in the halls of churches and having these debates on the fundamental differences, see what you'll learn about Todd and I is we do not hide from the argument arguments that we haven't forgotten. The, the, we, we spent all last year talking about the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We don't duck these topics at all. Okay, we just think it doesn't glorify God to kill each other over this debate. We're fine having it. But Catholics and Protestants went out to those fields for hundreds of years in Europe and turned the grass red with blood, not because they really were trying to glorify God or really so much convinced their particular side in this ecclesiastical battle was correct, but because they had turned the ecclesiastical battle into an idol. And lots of innocent people died. And it was a terrible witness to the Christian faith. Which is why, when it comes to arguments on our show, we're not always trying to win an argument. Now, we like winning. We're all competitive to some extent. But we're, most of the time, we're just trying to start one. You know that old ancient Chinese proverb you've heard addressed many times? Give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. Teach him to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime, right? So we're trying to start arguments. And sometimes we'll start arguments on purpose with positions we don't believe in order to to spur critical thinking, to get you to see, can you deconstruct where we are coming from? I'll never forget when I, one of my first times I did this, when I had a local radio show in Des Moines is there was a story about um, a women's basketball team had played another women's basketball team from the school of the blind. And they had beaten them like 170 to two or something. And it made sports center on ESPN and all the wire services. And this, this women's basketball team was, was being destroyed for essentially beating up on literally a school of the blind and routing them. I went on the air that day when this story went live. Do you remember this? I do. I went on the air that day and opened up the show by sticking up for the women's team. Actually, I did criticize them for not beating them worse. How, how did they even allow them to score? They're blind. They can't freaking see the basket. How'd you give up any points? Why wasn't this 500 to nothing? This is survival of the fittest. This is natural selection. They were born blind. You were born with sight. I mean, when, when, it, when, when a lion's already eaten three antelopes and another weak antelope there uh, in the Serengeti comes strolling by, does the lion say, boy, man, I've had enough to eat and that antelope looks like it's trying to get home. I'm going to let it slide. No, he doesn't have a soul. He doesn't have a soul. So what would that lion do? 
Somebody on Facebook said they already like your Palpatine references, so let me give you another. Wipe them out. Yes. All of them. The lion is not going to think I'm full here, and this one looks bad. Low-lying fruit. I'm going to let this one go. No. He will pounce. It's in his nature. It's natural selection. And the strong prey on the weak. P-R-E-Y. And I didn't... I made the pure Darwinian argument, and people freaking lost it. The calls into our radio station that day, I was cruel, I was cold, I was heartless, because folks didn't understand I was taking this side of the argument on purpose to try and get them to show they could deconstruct the opponent's argument here, okay? So on our show at times, we will just seek to start arguments because, you know, there are people, because we have a microphone in front of our face and a camera, I know there are people that follow me that just think everything I say is good and right, and I know that it's not, okay? In this line of work, that's unavoidable to come up with people that will do that, because that's human nature as well. As Aaron said a minute ago, we're idol-making factories. We don't want you to come to the conclusions that we have come to, because these are our conclusions. Preach. We want you to come to the conclusions we've come to, because they're right. And if they're not right, we want you to be able to show us where we're wrong. I have lost arguments. I've talked about this in the past. My libertarian friends have won arguments with me about, for example, the surveillance state. After 9-11, I was on the air. Hey, man, we got to, you know, we need to stop this stuff before it happens. And my libertarian friends warned me for years. Hey, remember, it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. You may, you may like the surveillance state now when Bush Cheney's running it. Have you thought about whether you're going to like it or not when the other side gets a hold of it? Or I remember an argument I lost over faith-based initiatives when Bush started those. And I thought, hey, it was great that government's going to come alongside the church and try to help the poor, but we're going to do this in a way that it's not a welfare state, but it's going to assist the church to do it directly, right? And again, my libertarian friend said, hey, wait till the other side gets a hold of government and then decides, you know, if you don't want someone waving the rainbow flag working at your church, then you're out of the program and we're going to tell you what to believe in. You know what I'm saying? And every one of those arguments, my libertarian friends told me were going to take place, ended up happening. And I, it caused me now to reconsider my arguments and realize they were right, I was wrong. And you've seen me alter my approach when these issues have come up on the show in the last few years. Okay, so if you come to the conclusion we're right, let it be because we're right, not because they're our conclusions, okay? We're not after, and, and we don't need fanboys. We don't need ditto heads. We're not looking for any of that stuff. We are looking, we need a generation of critical thinkers. And that requires you to be able to see things as they are, not the way we're telling you it is. Those are two totally different things, Todd. And there's another reason this is really important. For a very long time, they're reeling a little bit now uh, on the left, but they, it, it, it's still in force. They've gotten away for a long, long time of making uh, certainly people in the squishy middle, but even people uh, on the so-called right for feeling guilty when they say we are the people of reason and science. They never were. Uh, just like there's there's always a end game, and it's also ultimately about the iconoclasm and the idolatry, and they will use things like what they can convince people are reason or science and logic to make you feel guilty, and you're part of the flat earth society. They are truly part of the flat earth society, and these arguments that Steve is talking about starting are vital to make sure the fact that we got them reeling right now, it stays that way, and ultimately they're in a place where they can't even get up the mat because they have been shown to be the logical frauds that they are.
this goes right to our very next point, which is essentially a a reasserting of the previous one. We don't care so much about what you think, but why you think it. I had an eighth grade algebra teacher at Jackson Park Junior High in Wyoming, Michigan, Mr. Judovix. And he used to frustrate me greatly because I never understood why don't I just go to a calculator and get the answer faster and it'll always be right. And he would always come back to me and say, show your work. Show your work. He's like, I can indoctrinate you. I can inculcate you. But that doesn't tell me that you understand this. Do you know why A plus B equals C? This is a key thing about our show. We want to know why you think what you think more than what you actually think. Because again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier with worldview. Now, here's a fallacy in Aaron's generation I want to address. It's our next one here, okay? Actually, this is a fallacy in our generation. I skipped one. Motive matters most. So what we were kind of told from Gen Xers, particularly conservative Gen Xers, and stop me before this criticism before, Todd, liberals want to be judged by their intentions, right? That the intent of sure. the welfare states to help the poor and liberals want to be judged by their intentions. Conservatives want to be judged by their results, right? right. We've heard that our whole lives following and being um, consumers of conservative media, okay? From a Judeo-Christian worldview, both of those are fallacies, by the way. They're both fallacies. In the Judeo-Christian worldview, motive is what matters most. Your intentions are what you meant to do. Your results are what you actually did. But your motive is for whom or why you did it for. That's the key. That's the key. Why? Why did you do this? Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house. Yes. What's the motive? What? That's a hard issue. That's a worldview issue. Because, see, the reason we've got to get that motive matters most is because we can, we can get the right result from, uh, from some really wicked means. Which means that's a, essentially a Pyrrhic victory. Or we can have these really pure intentions and unleash hell. The road to hell is paved with the best of intentions, right? But motive is a matter of worship. Maybe you've heard people say love is a, an emotion. Love is an action verb. You hear that in a lot of evangelical megachurches today. Neither one of those, I believe, is true. Love's your motivation. Love's a motivation, which goes to the very next point we need to address here. What you say matters as much as how you say it. Now, in another generation, I would have put it in reverse. In another era, I would have said, how you say it matters as much as what you say. But in this generation now, we've got the touchy feelies down. We got our va- we got the vapors. All of us have the vapors in our not in our time. Okay, so we actually need to reverse this. What you say matters as much as how you say it. Because one of the things I'll get from people when I will really confront something head on aggressively is they'll they'll send me a you know Paul talking to his spiritual protege Timothy about confronting those with with gentleness. But then the same Paul that wrote that also wrote to the heretics in Galatia, if you think circumcision is what saves you, you know, the removal of that foreskin from the male penis, why don't you just cut your whole penis off then and be even extra super califragilistic holy? Why don't you do that? 
And that, that's the same Paul that looked at Simon Barjona, who was the great magician heretic and in the book of Acts, and looked at him and said, you're a, you're a son of the devil. You're a son of the devil. St. Paul, who wrote Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment, wrote to the church in Corinth, hey, that guy in the front row who's having sex with his mom and those people that keep going back in, the, in, in line to drink the communion wine because they're trying to get drunk, not experience um, the Lord's uh, Supper, uh, throw them out. So how do we reconcile these things? Well, because love's not an emotion, it's not a sentiment, and it's not an action. It's a motivation. When my, when my youngest daughter, Zoe, all of my kids have certain aspects of my personality. Zoe has my contrarianism. And so we would sit in the parking lot at the grocery store when Zoe was little, and we would tell her as we were loading the groceries in, sweetie, wait right here. Let us put the groceries in, and we'll put you in the car. We would turn around, and Zoe would be three steps into the parking lot, into traffic, doing her own thing. Now, I suppose I could say, Zoe, come back to me, honey. Daddy loves you. You're my little sweetie heart. And I don't want, I don't want to impose on your free will, Zoe. So, honey, will you come back to me? Meanwhile, the car is about to come and hit her head on. But I don't, I don't want to violate her boundaries, you know. And I want to persuade her nicely. I want to be nice. Is that a good dad? No. Or is a good dad the one that runs over there, grabs her by a little cute little pink hoodie, yanks her out of traffic before she gets hurt by a car, and then looks at her very sternly and says, don't ever do that again. You're going to get hurt. Which one is the better dad? The latter. The latter. Which one's the nicer dad? The former. The former. Several years ago, I was speaking at the largest Christian high school here in Des Moines, and I asked the kids there, um, it was, I was giving an address to the senior class, and, and I was asking the kids there, do you believe it's what you say or how you say it? Because the answer is it's both, right? And I said, you know what? To the young women here, I want you to fast forward 10 years from now. You're married, you have kids, your husband comes home from work and he says, honey, the house looks nice, it looks great. The kids are so well behaved. Oh, you're cooking my favorite dish. And did I mention, man, you look as gorgeous as you did the day I married you. Oh, hey, I forgot to tell you, I had a really hot nooner with that new gal who has the cubicle next to me at work. Anyway, did I mention how hot you look right now? I mean, he was nice. He said it nice, right? Did he say it nice? It's very nice. Yeah, he, com- he complimented you a lot of times for he told you that he cheated on you, but because it's not how you say it, or it's not what you say, but how you say it, right? It's only how you say it, right? Right? He just nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way, and they all laughed because they knew this is a fallacy. So, in our era, in previous eras, we probably had to err a little bit more with a little more grace and mercy on this. But in this era, with post, thanks to postmodernism, we all have the vapors. We all got the emotion down. So now we got to maybe swing the pendulum back a little bit more to Paul in Galatia and Paul at Ephesus. Okay, now's a little more time. This is more of the era of Jane, you ignorant slut. Of that's dumb and you're a moron. We're not doing that. Okay, there needs to be a little bit more clarity now and a little less cozy in how we address some of these things. Because everybody's got the vapors, everybody's cozy, comfortable, and you know what we're not getting much of anymore? The actual truth. And there needs to be a little bit more clarity here in this day and age in which we live. So we swung the pendulum way too far to, it's not, it's not what you say, but how you say it, Steve. Okay, that's what it's about, Steve. We need to actually, less effeminate, okay, more over here. And there needs to be a little bit more, actually it kind of is what I'm saying, more than how I say it. Because you're doing stuff that's going to destroy your life 
in the lives of the people you care about. And there's really no nice way to tell you, stop being a moron. Stop being an idiot. Stop doing stupid stuff. Stop doing stuff that is going to destroy your home, your family, your culture. Stop being an idiot. There's a time and a place for clarity. And we kind of think we're in that time and place as we speak right now in the culture. You have any thoughts on that really quick, Todd, before we go to break? Well, if I had a nickel for every time in my life after I had won an argument that it was really about your tone, uh, sorry. And we just saw a perfect example. Forget about what kind of Judge Kavanaugh will be or if he was a jerk in his young life. At one point when he was standing in the dock and he needed to defend the honor of both him, his wife, and his children, he said, the hell with my tone. I'm going to survive. And he did. Yes or no, Aaron, this is a major argument we got to win with your generation, right? That is absolutely correct. Absolutely. All right, more of Steve Day Show 101 here on the other side. You're watching The Blaze on CRTV. This is Steve Dace on The Blaze Radio Network. Blame us. He went to public school. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on The Blaze Radio and TV live here on CRTV for our subscribers at CRTV as well. Steve Dace alongside Todd and Aaron. It's day one of our new partnership between CRTV and The Blaze. And so since we're bringing in a lot of uh, new viewers and listeners today uh, with The Blaze audience as well, we're, we're doing our first week of shows here, sort of a, a Steve Day Show orientation, Steve Day Show 101. And we've done a lot of stuff that's touched on philosophy, theology, kind of observational science. You know, one of the things I probably should have put in there is we don't believe conservatism is an ideology. We believe conservatism is an observational science, meaning you have observed scientifically and critically and lucidly, you have observed throughout history what the creator and history has revealed to be good, noble, true, and best for humankind. And therefore your desire is to then conserve those things for this and future generations. Okay. Now we're going to get into those of you that uh, I don't want to make it seem like we don't do any hardcore politics. We just think our paradigm needs to be inverted. Like we said at the beginning that before we start getting to political, uh, you know, tactics and application, we got to have the foundation established, settled in one. The last part of the conversation today, though, these are going to be meta-narratives and themes on the show that are going to specifically touch on the political environment in which we're in today, okay? So here's the first one. Conservatism is doomed in the current political paradigm. Doomed. Doomed. Uh, Shameless plug. My next book, Truth Bombs, comes out January 15th. Is going to lay out for you why that's the case in greater detail than we will here. But you'll notice that the themes that are being debated, even in this election, we're hearing again, it's the most, it's the most important election of our lifetimes. Heard that a million times. Sometimes it's probably even true. Okay, But notice it's always about stopping the left's advancement. Like, it's not the most important election of our lifetime, 
because we overturned Roe v. Wade and now we have a 50-state battle for the sanctity of life on our hands, right? Right. That's not why. It's not the most important election of our lifetimes because we overturned Obamacare, went to a free market healthcare system, and and now we have to defend that against incursion and attack from the left. It's not for that, right? And when's the last time we took a hill and then said, hey, we're going on to the next one? When did that happen, Steve? Uh, yeah, yeah. The last time we actually won a political argument with the left was over invading Iraq. Yikes. One of the worst foreign policy boondoggles in the history of humankind. Okay? Um, yeah. We're, we're, it, we're, our big legislative accomplishment in two years on the right, other than judicial nominees, is an unpermanent tax cut. That's it. That's what they did for two years. They, they ratified a bunch of judges, and we're going to talk about the courts in a second. And then they gave you a non-permanent tax cut. That's it. So we're not, we're not advancing anything we believe in, guys. These are all rear guard actions. So we're, we've, we've, we're losing or have lost the culture. And politically, we're winning elections to do rear guard actions. That, that's, not, that's not a winning strategy, guys. That, that's, that's not a strategy for victory. That's barely a strategy for preservation. That, that's essentially um, kicking the can down the road and calling that pragmatism. And which is why even, they partially mean it, Steve, when they say, oh, no, we, 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 we got to wait till we get the majority on the courts or till we get the White House. They do partially mean it, but because of what you're talking about, when they get it, they don't know what to do. I mean, they're utterly lost. Yeah. Some of it's befuddlement, and some of it is they just don't agree with what we agree with, you know? But the current political paradigm is a loser for conservatism. Now, I might go do something in November I haven't done in 15 years. It's been since 2004. I went in and voted straight ticket Republican in an election. Um, I might do it this time, not because 90% of these Republicans have earned my vote. They have not. But because... 99% of these Democrats have earned my vote of self-preservation against them. I mean, they're literally, they're lit, they're, they are literally letting it be known they will end people like me if given the chance. And there, there does come a point where I, I have to say to my own kids, in an imperfect world, there's a home invasion and my first responsibility as your father is to defend you from this usurper, from this attacker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's my conscience is debating right now with, with itself. Is the left at that point now where they are literally the Visigoths coming over the wall? And the, and the, the, the debate we'd like to have about complexities and niceties and, and virtues that are necessary right now doesn't matter. Like, you don't want to be the guy that in the middle of what was the great movie that Andrew Garfield was in about the Christian conscientious objector that was oh, yeah. not meant from Best Picture a couple of years ago. Great movie. Can't I can't remember I, the name so of it. So great, we can't remember movie. the name, okay? It was, but you don't want to be the person that walks out of that movie and says, boy, the, the soldiers were just swearing too much and it really offended me. Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge, yeah. They're literally giving, they're literally bleeding their guts out to save your civilization. Now's not the time to, to nitpick them with Bible verses about better language. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying that that language is always great. But that's probably not the time. Like when you're when when you're white, I learned this with my when Amy had her first kidney stone after we got saved, and I went to the ER and I heard my woman using words I last heard in in locker rooms, and when I played high school sports, and I thought that my name 
was an F-bomb. It got used so many times, okay? That the excruciating pain she was under at that moment was not the time for me to grammar check, right? That's ridiculous, okay? So there does come a time when the Visigoths come over the wall, take off the mask and say, we're the barbarians at the gate. You're kind of at the point now where you're just like, uh, we got to stop that. Because you don't stop that. The arguments we want to have over here, we won't have the luxury of having them later on. And my, my conscience has been debating with itself throughout the course of this year whether we are at the point for that. Because I would love for the Republican Party to disappear from the face of the earth. So that maybe out of the ashes, a phoenix that might even have a modicum of the same beliefs for real, not just lip service, would rise up in its place. But I also recognize that I think these, I mean, it looks like a Visigoth and it sounds like a Visigoth. I'm, I think it, I think it might be a Visigoth. But understand, again, that if I do that, that vote is a rearguard action. That is, that is not a success. That is a putting off of defeat. And I think we need to understand the current political paradigm for conservatives. There's no conservatism being debated or discussed right now. It's all how much pagan leftist filth are we willing to tolerate and, and, and how big of a dosage are we willing to inject into our veins? That's the debate, Todd. Yeah. And if, there, if there was conservatism being talked about, the one main reason you would know it is because it would be on offense. Steve mm-hmm. talks about this in another one of uh, his books. Go on offense. We're never on offense. You know, if people are throwing that word around and they always do in election season, it's a scam. Next point. The Constitution will be lost to history unless we confront the courts. The courts and their paganized version of stare decisis and made-up law and fake law and whatever the judges say now becomes the law and judges get to be an unelected perpetual constitutional convention. Uh, That's oligarchy. That's banana republic stuff. That's not uh, lives, fortunes, and sacred honors stuff. That, That goes against what the men who the 55 men who pledged that in that declaration were for or 56 men, I should say. So this will be something we'll flesh out a lot in future episodes because it's the number one political battleground in America today, the courts. If we do not confront the courts, put them back, back where they belong. The fewest enumerated powers, the weakest of the three branches, as Hamilton wrote in the Federalist Papers, given neither force nor will. If we don't put them back where they, in the boundaries they belong, the Constitution of the United States. Cleon Skousen, who wrote uh, The 5,000-Year Leap, that's one of the books that's on the list I keep for years promising to make and I never do, of books I think every American should be forced to read before getting a voter registration card. Um, the, the miracle of human history that our Constitution was will be lost to history. If we don't confront the courts, that's the next point. And you're going to hear a lot about that here on our show. And I just want to add as well, when you say confront, do you mean like confront? I uh, mean, confront yeah. like a president yeah. says, you're, you're, you're telling me or a governor says, or a legislature says, or a Congress says, you're telling us we have to do something the constitution says is wrong. And the, not to mention the God, our rights come from says it's wrong. So we're not going to do that. So like, I, I mean, like, the the United States Congress usually limits or literally limits the jurisdiction of judicial review, which the Constitution permits them to do right in the way the bills are being written. That's what I mean. Not just, you know, uh, sending out a press release after. The no, I don't just mean David French say, is really well, mad on National Review today well, we and, and write some useless white paper. Spoken. 
And boy, the courts, if the courts stay in your lane, courts, but I have no means whatsoever. You know, listen, man, I can go home and tell my kids obey their mama over and over and over again. But until I spank one of them for not doing it, what are the odds they're going to actually do it, guys? Hi. And then once I spank one of them, what are the odds they're going to actually finally do it when they meet, when they see the old man means business? Think the odds go up or they go lower? What do you think? They go shot, up. A better shot. You only had to go to you only had to go into Fon, you only had to go to Fonzie's office in the very first episode of Happy Days. The example was set. And then for all the ensuing 200 episodes of Happy Days till he literally jumped the shark, when the Fonz threatened you to go in his audio, go in his office, you knew what it meant, right? Right. Time, you know, you, you also knew what it meant was better mean it. Better mean it. Because if you don't mean it, you know he does. We need somebody to say, yeah, yeah, thank you for your opinion. That's all that it is. You're not God. You're not the Constitution. You're not the law. Thank you. And you had a particular conversation on the show. You can divulge specifics uh, along the lines of the one you just did. But if your version of the, if you say, no, I agree with you, the courts really aren't the last word on the law, uh, but your way of rectifying is that um, we'll clear that up the next time the courts take this up, then you believe that the courts are the last word on the law. Yeah, and I'm not just whistling Dixie here. I was one of the tips of the sphere in my own state we did something in our state back in 2010 that had never been done in American history. We had a, a statewide referendum that fired three Supreme Court justices, not because of behavioral ethics, but because of judicial malfeasance, because of the way they ruled. And we fired their sorry asses. And that's the way it needs to be done. That's what I mean by confront. That's what I mean. Confront. If you look it up in the original Greek, for those of you that like your etymology, if you look up confront in the original Greek, you know what it means? Confront means confront. That's what it means. Yeah. Um, next point: realism. We believe in realism over consequentialism. We must accept the world and the truth for what it is, rather than what we want it to be. You know, when the Patriots lose a rare football game, Bill Belichick doesn't watch the film looking for excuses for why they lost. Doesn't come out of there thinking, you know, the opposition is not very good, guys. Yeah, they got lucky. No, he takes responsibility for why they lost, and they're unlikely to lose that way again. We do a lot, pardon the crassness, we do a lot of circular pleasuring circles uh, here in the conservative movement. We like those. We do a lot of, let's just sit around, lift up a cheek, squeeze one off. Gosh, that smells so good. We do a ton of that on the right. A ton of just lying to ourselves. If I have, if one more of you emails me, Steve, the polls were wrong in 2016. No, they weren't. They were exactly right. The Real Clear Politics polling average predicted Hillary to win by 2.5 points. And she won the popular vote by 2.8. They were exactly, that, that's nailing it, guys. They were exactly right. And they're going right. to be a red wave, Steve. Yeah, and they were right in 2012. And they were right in 2014. And they were right in 2010. They're right more times than not. Okay? So... Um, we want to win. We realize though, we can't win by lying to ourselves. I know there's a lot of you white now. You like to be lied to. You don't want the truth. You want a counter echo chamber. You want a counter circle jerk. That's what you want. You're not going to get it here. Okay. So understand that we need to, we can't fix a problem until we actually know guys what it is. And, you know, we're not right all the time. And when we're wrong, we have to understand why we were wrong and why we lost. This is called, say with me now, 
adulting. Adulting, Aaron. Adulting. Yeah, we don't we don't do very much of that. We're really really good at um, sometimes when the left is overreaching. We're really good at getting Republicans elected. You know what we're not so great at? Uh, getting conservatives elected, elected or advancing anything. We're really, really... Now guys, listen to this. We are really, really good at owning the libs. In fact, it's a lifestyle for some of us. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe owning the libs is not actually accomplishing much at all. I don't know if you guys have, have recognized this as, as well. Um, but but owning the libs and telling yourself, despite any rational evidence to the contrary, which it may still be true at the end of the day, but telling yourself for the last three or four months that, no, there's no blue wave, everything's fine, it's actually going to be a red wave, um, stuff like that. Creates a blue what, wave. Yeah, it creates a blue wave, and that's exactly what we're talking about The here. The, the poll the Republican Party had a month ago, their own internal poll that they leaked that said the number one problem they have with a lack of Republican voter enthusiasm is Republican voters are just convinced that there's not really any Democratic energy and it's all fake news. You know why they're not convinced? Because a lot of our peers in conservative media realize that they get better clicks by lying to you because you prefer to be lied to. And so that's what they're doing. And then all of a sudden, Brett Kavanaugh gets nominated. They try to character assassinate him in public. And we all all had to come to grips with the reality of the truth in front of us. And be reminded, oh, yeah, that's what happens when the other guys win, right? So we're not into lying to you. We're not going to do that, okay? But we will talk about um, Elizabeth Warren's ancestry, though. For four hours. Actually, it's still going on now. It's eight hours or six hours of this trending on Twitter now. Okay. couple of things that we're going to do these rapid fire now as we close this out. All right? The truth is its own reward. We don't need to sugarcoat it, romanticize it. I don't need to make the founding fathers heroes. And I don't, I don't need to blow their hero, heroism out of proportion, nor do I need to iconoclastically deconstruct them. The truth is just fine. The truth is its own reward. Flawed men doing great things is perfectly suitable. We don't need to embellish things. The truth is just fine on its own. Also, when you hear us talk about foreign policy on our show, we don't believe foreign policy can be dogmatic. We've got too many existential differences now um, in the world, too many clashes of cultures. You got to take things on an issue by issue, situational basis. You cannot be dogmatic. That's how we made so many post 9-11 mistakes, trying to spread democracy to a religion that has no concept of free will. Um, here's another one. Everyone is a single issue voter. It just depends on what that issue is. Everyone is. Like, I mean, would you vote for a pedophile? No? Well, then that's your single issue. Every, everyone's a single issue voter, Okay. It's just a matter of what the single issue is. Every government is a theocracy. It just depends on who Theo is. Every government is. Every government devised by man has been a theocracy. It just depends on who Theo is. The issue of life is paramount, not because it's a litmus test. It's literally a window to the soul. I can promise you, David Barton at Wall Builders has pointed this out in his research for years, Find where a politician votes on the issue of life and you will always find how they vote on absolutely everything else. It's a window to the soul. It's not a litmus test that tells you who they are right here in the ticker. And then finally, this one. Know the difference between a leftist and a liberal and an enemy and an opponent. A leftist and a liberal. A liberal wants government to permit you to do the things God says are bad and dumb. A leftist wants government to compel you to do them or you will be made to care. An opponent disagrees with you, maybe even vehemently, and wants to greatly defeat you and your ideas. 
an enemy wants to end you, has no interest in sharing space with you. These are distinctions we greatly need to understand politically in the environment we are in today. Gentlemen, we've got a minute left. What did we learn today? Aaron, go. Well, I learned um, overall today that uh, working with The Blaze is, uh, has been a blast so far. The crew that I've been working with over the last week uh, has been doing a crack job. Um, and it's just Not from, an on-crack job, not a crack job. Not a crack job. Yeah. They've, they've got a crack team um, of, of, of people that I've been able to work with, and so that's been a blast. And uh, I think, you know, if nothing, if nothing else, uh, by the end of this five-day period, which after which we'll probably get fired— at least we'll impart every shot, every generic shot that we have to our audience. I learned on Facebook, uh, people seem to like, and I quote, that you make people uncomfortable. Well, we promise to accept that. Oh, we have just begun to do that. Not always will we do it on purpose. Sometimes we're just bad at this. Thank you for watching. Day one, day two tomorrow, right here on The Blaze and CRTV, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. On The Blaze Radio Network.